Hey, Southridge. I'm Pastor Troy. want to welcome you today. I'm glad that you're here. We came on a great day after service today. We're going to have fish and chips, hot and fresh. Woo! Yeah. So uh, enjoy that. Um, you know, every week I, I come early and I try to spend, uh, actually I get up every Sunday before the messages and, and just kind of start thinking about what God wants to say, what God wants to do. Um, and, and a lot of times what happens is I come in and I pray. There's a row up there that goes all the way through. It's about two-thirds of the way back. And I just kind of walk back and forth there and say, what do you want to say, God? What do you want to do? You know, what, what's, what's, the, what's the thing for today? You know, and, and a lot of times it's pretty uneventful, I'll be honest with you. You know, you just kind of pray and you just do it. You know, you just do what you do. Um, today, though, I had one of those overwhelming moments. Anybody ever have an overwhelming moment with God? You're just like, oh, wow, okay. And what it is, is, and this is what I think happens, is I think the, the, the flow of the Spirit of God just gets uh, so intense sometimes that it pours over into your emotions, and you feel it, and that God does that. I think He's, he's available all the time, but here's, here's what it was. is that God, uh, God wanted each and every one of you to know that you are loved by the Father. And all of a sudden, this morning, while I was thinking about it, is that he sees your life and he loves you like nobody's business. And if somehow, some way, you could get a hold of this idea that if God loved me that much, everything else in life would change. Everything else in life would change if I would just get a hold of this one idea that God, the creator of all things, the creator of my life, loves me. And he does. So this, I just want to encourage you with that because I don't know where you're coming today. I mean, where you're coming from and what you're dealing with. Um, I'm always amazed at this. I'm amazed that God knows each and every one of us in this room and he knows exactly what you're facing, what you're dealing with. And he's interested. And so hopefully today that will come alive in you and God would speak to you clearly and loudly. All right? Lord, I ask today, would you pray with me? Lord, I ask today that you would help me to speak clearly. Uh, that we would hear from heaven. Lord, most importantly, that we would know that you love us and you care about us. Let it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, I want to thank you all for praying for me and supporting me uh, through the, the surgery process. If you didn't know, I, I had a uh, fairly major surgery on my shoulder. I had a uh, surface reconstruction. So I have like a, I am bionic now. I have a a titanium cap in my shoulder. I have a seven-inch incision about right here. I am, yes, under the influence of drugs this morning. <laughs> I have an extra one in my pocket just in case it gets out of hand. But, uh, and, and one of the things that I, keeps happening is, and I don't know if it's the drugs or the pain or both or the mixture, is that I keep having like uh, metapausal heat flashes. So I had one in the first service, so maybe you get to experience it in the second. Everybody thought, is he going to pass out and die? And I was like, you know, hey, I'm just going for it. Woo, you know. Yeah, rock on. So if I just start randomly talking about something that has nothing to do with anything, you know the drugs are working. <laughs> right? But uh, thank you uh, for being supportive and, and just going through all that. And hopefully I won't have to wear this very much longer. Um, so, so we're going to talk for the next few weeks uh, about a topic that I've been looking forward to for some time, and that's called this whole idea of being lost at sea, and, and especially the story of Jonah. Uh, a few months back, uh, 
we went down and, and visited my daughter and her husband in Pensacola. He's uh, uh, in flight school there. And he, one of the first things that we did when we got there is we had to go to the Naval Aviation Museum, you know, and just check it out. And I'm not really a big museum kind of guy, you know, and it's not like something I get excited about. But it was interesting. It was cool. And, and one of the displays that were there really caught my attention. Uh, it was a story of, of three gentlemen that were lost at sea for 34 days in a dinghy that was 8 foot by 4 foot. Matter of fact, I, I, we pulled up a picture of it right there. That's it. And uh, on the side of that, uh, uh, you can't see it in the picture, but there's actually like markings where they had marked every day as they went through the journey of being in that raft at sea for 34 days, three men. And there's little, they had maps and stuff because they were trying to figure out where they were. And they actually traveled 1,200 miles in that raft over 34 days. Sharks, you know, one of them accidentally had poked a hole in the side of it with the pocket knife that they had. So they had to constantly patch and repatch and repatch the thing, bailing water. Three grown men. And then the next picture, this is when they, 34 days later, uh, that was them as uh, the captain in the middle uh, and the, the gunner and then the flight guy. I, it, actually, I wrote down their names. Uh, Harold F. Dixon, Tony Pastala, and Gene Aldrich. And, and these guys, they didn't have anything. They didn't have time. They, and what happened was as they left the, the, the carrier, they flew away. They couldn't re, uh, do radio contact because it would give away the destination or the location of the carrier. And so as they went they got turned around and backwards to where they were and literally got lost. And as they were lost out there, they couldn't find the carrier or, or contact it or do anything. They ran out of fuel and had to land in the ocean. That's how they ended up there. And so for 34 days, these guys lived in that little dinghy together, and, and they would eat, you know, they'd catch some raw fish, and they'd grab, they actually at one point caught a four-foot shark, and they said it was the best thing that ever happened because they pigged out on a, on a short shark, you know, raw. They, they caught birds that would land. They would all be asleep, and then one would land, like, right next to them. They'd grab the bird, and then they'd eat the bird. You know, I mean, it was intense. It would rain, and they'd catch the water. And 34 days, they survived, lost at sea. And then the next picture, check this one out, is, is them afterwards. So look at the size of that thing. <laughs> like, so, so when I was at the museum, it started making me think about us being lost at sea spiritually and emotionally and relationally. And here's, here's the simple truth. I think there's been a lot of times where a lot of us are and have been lost at sea. We just have. I know in my own life I have been. I, I, when I was younger, I would say that my teenage years, probably from about 13 to 20, I was lost at sea in a big way. I mean, I was lost at sea in drug addiction and alcoholism. I was, I was lost in sea in, in hate and anger. I had a lot of anger. I, I was lost at sea in thinking that I couldn't trust anybody. I, I was lost in sea in all kinds of different things that were just messed up. I mean, I was in, in a bad place. My, my marriage, when we got married at 18, was lost at sea. You know, so, so I get a little bit of an idea of what that means personally. And then, and then years later, I know there was another time, even after I gave my life to Christ, I was lost at sea. And that was when our oldest daughter was killed in a car accident. There was a time when I was lost at sea during that time, too. I didn't know where I was. I, I didn't really understand what was going on. I was kind of, it just seems everything was backwards and everything was crazy and it wasn't working out the way I planned it. And I was lost at sea. I was in that little dinghy hoping that I might survive. 
And so I think today there's a lot of us in this room that are lost at sea, and maybe we've gotten really good at it. Maybe we've gotten to the point where we're just really good at surviving. Maybe we're just really good at making do with what we have. You know, it's the pocket knife type approach. I've got a pocket knife, I can do it. And, and, and that's not how God wants you to live. That's not how God wants you to go through life in, in this whole lost at sea experience. He wants something solid for you, something that you can get your, your teeth into and hold on to and know that it's sure. And, and so this whole idea of lost at sea comes from that. And so when you think about the idea of being lost at sea, what comes to mind? Here's what comes to my mind. Shipwrecks, you know, shipwrecks come to mind where you just kind of, you know, for whatever reason, you just wreck. You know, you run into something, you, the, a storm hits you. What, I mean, it's just a shipwreck. And, and some of you, that's the description of your lives. I mean, if you were to say, Here's, how could you define your life? My life is a shipwreck. And I know there's been times and there's moments where we feel like we're more shipwrecks than others, you know. But that might be the classification of what it comes to mind when you think of lost at sea. Or, or maybe it's stranded. Maybe the word is stranded, that you feel like you're stranded in life. Can't seem to get anywhere. Can't seem to become what you think you even might become. You can't seem to get past the moment where you're stuck in. And you're just kind of stranded out there. And that's lost at sea. And I, and I can understand that as well. I mean, another one is, is the idea of fear or sharks. How many of you like me? Got this fear of sharks? Come on, it's all right. I mean, they're not going to get us here today. But I realized when I was down in it, at my daughter's and we were in the ocean, man, I am scared of sharks. I think they know me. I think they know my name. And they, they got a little hunt list, you know, like, hey, here comes Troy. He's a big fat one. We'll get him, you know. You know, I mean, it's just, it just, but for some of us, the whole idea of loss at sea is this whole fear-driven thing that it's not going to turn out. You know, it's just the shark kind of thing. Um, sinking, you know, that feeling I'm sinking, you know, you know, you tread water, you know, you tread water right now. I, I would definitely sink right now. I can't, I couldn't even move my arm to try to tread water, but I mean, treading water, you know, there comes a point where you just kind of, Oh, oh, buddy, and you, you're trying to keep your head above water, keep your head above water, and you're sinking. And, and some of us, that's the description of your loss at sea experience of where you're at. You just feel like you're sinking. That every decision or every move you make causes you to go a little bit lower, a little bit deeper, a little bit further. Uh, I'm sinking. And so this loss at sea idea is sinking for you. But, but what about the experience itself? What, what about the experience? Here's the experience, I think, that some of the ideas that go with it. it and that is things like drifting. Uh, when you think about being lost at sea, you think of somebody just aimlessly drifting across the ocean. Wherever the wind blows, wherever the current goes, whatever the circumstances are of your life, that's what's dominating you. And so when you think of being lost at sea, the experience is, is that everything else is causing where I'm directing where I'm going instead of something else bigger than that. So drifting becomes a really big deal. The other, the other thought is, thirsty. Matter of fact, I'm thirsty right now. So this idea that being thirsty for something to quench you, to, to fulfill you, that, that this lost at sea idea is, is us trying to find that one thing, that, that, that thing, man, that quenches my thirst. That makes me feel satisfied and fulfilled. And so for a lot of us, this idea of being lost at sea is really this unending desire to find something that satisfies. And God wants to do that as well in our lives. 
this thirst thing. Here, here's another experience. It, it's hopeless. You know, um, I, I just, I, I think sometimes this is what happens. Is that some of us are so long lost at sea that we've kind of just given up. Oh, well. It's not going to get any better. It's not going to change. Nothing's going to be different. I mean, I'm just going through the motions. I'm just doing the things I'm doing. And really then what happens in is it, it settles in that I'm lost forever. It settles in that this is just my lot in life. It settles in that I guess it's not going to happen. One of the things that happened with those guys that were in that 34-day journey that they had is immediately the first few days, they thought, well, we're not going to make it. I mean, like four days into it, they all thought they were going to make it. And then the captain said a prayer, said, God, would you send us some rain? And it rained. <laughs> and, he, and as it came, they had a little hope that maybe they would get out of it. They didn't know that it was going to be another 20-some days before it happened. But hopelessness sets in. Another thing that I think sets in is this, is we just are surviving. Here, you know, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I don't know that God created me in my life and, and your life to just survive. Anybody else agree with that? I, I don't think that's what God wants for me. But I know a lot of times that's what I settle for. I settle for just surviving, just getting by. Can I just get through this moment? That's all I want. I just want to get through the moment, not actually maybe become what God wants me to become. So all of that kind of encompasses this idea of being lost at sea. So, so let me ask this question. How does a person get lost at sea? How does it happen? I mean, how, how does a person get lost at sea? All those things that I just described and kind of uh, reference, how does that happen? How does that happen in, in a person's life spiritually, emotionally, mentally, all the different areas of who we are? How does that happen? And, and in a practical sense, here's how it happens. It's, there is a mechanical failure, right? The brokenness of the world around me kind of catapults me into the situation. That happens. Some of you are in broken, lost at sea experiences because you're in broken, lost at sea experiences in life. That's just, that's just part of life. And so to be there might just be the because mechanical failure. It just broke down, and that's just where you're at in the middle of it, and that's how life happens sometimes. That's just how it is. Another one, and I think this is a big one, and it's operator air. Come on, go ahead and say it. <laughs> operator air. That somehow, some way, I've created this situation because of my own choices, my own decisions, my own will, whatever it may be. I've created this situation. I'm lost at sea today, and I'm in this drifting, shipwrecked, stranded, shark-infested water because I have made personal decisions that have placed me here. I like to think this. I, I, I think that most of us, that's where we're at, not because we wanted to, but because we didn't understand the magnitude of the decisions that we make. If I knew that every decision was going to lead me further and further into a drifted, shipwrecked situation, I might take more seriously the decisions that I make. But instead, I don't see it as a big picture situation. I see it as one little small piece, and it's not going to matter. And somehow I get lost at sea. And so that's probably or maybe part of it, mechanical failure, operator error, or the act of things like act of nature that happens. That's how people get shipwrecked, right? Lost at sea, just an act of nature, storm. There's act of, acts of war. There's attacks. There's wartime 
people get lost at sea because of war. And the last one, and this is the one we're going to talk about today, is an act of God. See, sometimes you can be lost at sea because God is actually part of the lost at sea experience. Sometimes you can actually be in a situation where you are lost at sea and, and drifting and in a crazy place, really because God is maybe trying to catch your attention and say, hey, you, hey, you, hey, you. He's trying to get your eye, get your attention back on him. Not necessarily just on him, but upon his will, his desire for your life. So enter the story of Jonah. Jonah is this incredible story of God's interaction with humanity, and it includes you and I. Now, the first response that I usually get when you say, hey, we're going to talk about Jonah, is this. Are you kidding? Jonah in the belly of a whale? I mean, come on. Isn't that like Pinocchio? You know? Is that like in the same category? And, and here's, here's what I, how I would answer this, and it would be this way. Is if, if somehow you and I live in a world that is without any supernatural, without any intervention, then I would say just like you would maybe, no way, that's impossible. That can't happen. It's just some kind of mythological story. Blow it off. Don't entertain it. Don't even think about it. If, for example, that God is actively involved in every one of our lives, that he's supernatural in who he is, and even if we think that we're only natural, but yet he's supernatural, then maybe at times those things could cross over. Maybe. I'd say maybe. Or, and this is the way where I stand, is that maybe what happens is that there is a supernatural God that has created a supernatural human being, and we're supernatural because we are created in God's image and for eternity. That's what makes us supernatural. If that's the case, then maybe, no, not maybe, surely God would interact with that. And if God's interacting with that, then the story of a man and a whale and all these kind of things, because God is supernaturally involved in the, in the creation of his, his human beings, then I would say, okay, that could possibly happen. Yeah, I, I, I can be with that. I get that. Now, and then the other thing is this, is that all throughout the story of God, from day one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. From the beginning all the way to the end of the story in Revelation where he says he will create a new heaven and a new earth, God is supernaturally working. He is doing miracle after miracle after miracle. And what that means is he steps into the natural order of things, changes them to reveal himself in what he's doing. He does it all the time. I don't know, I was just curious, anybody been in the belly of a whale? Right, first service, we had two people. <laughs> it's not natural, is it? I mean, it isn't, but yet it's natural in the sense that God is interacting with his people, and at times, he blows up the natural world to show who he is in the supernatural. And that's what we have happen. So if you think about God and his story, miracles are part of God's story. You had the flood, you had the splitting of the Red Sea, Jesus raising the dead, healing the lepers, giving sight to the blind, feeding 5,000 men with a few fish and a few pieces of bread, Jesus walking on water, and the big one, Jesus dying and three days later being resurrected from the dead. That's fairly big. That's fairly big. So all of a sudden, if we put all those in, in, in the storyline of God, we realize that God is this miracle-working God, and he does miracles to reveal his character and interact with his creation. Then at that time, we probably go, okay, maybe this could be. I don't know how, but obviously we put God into it, then it's very definitely possible. And then the last thing is this, is that Jesus himself referenced the story of Jonah as being factual. 
And Jesus himself referenced Jonah as being a true story in the Old Testament, part of one of the minor prophetic stories of God's interaction with humanity. And he said, hey, just like Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days, the Son of Man is going to be in the belly of the earth. And what he was referring to is the tomb. And then he's going to be resurrected. And so all of a sudden Jesus had this idea that it's something bigger than just a story about a tomb or just a story about a miracle. It's the big story of God's interaction with his creation. So a couple things. Fill in your blanks here real quickly. I'm going to move fairly quickly. Uh, Number one there is Jonah is not a story about a whale. It's not a story about a whale. That's not what the, the focal point, the story The real story is about God interacting with his creation. Second point there is Jonah is a story about God's outrageous love. His outrageous love. His outrageous love, you're going to see in just a moment how outrageous it is that he would love people that are actively, aggressively in rebellion against him. He loves them. I mean, it it doesn't even make sense sometimes when you start thinking about the outrageous love that God is part of because God is always in the business of trying to restore a broken relationship with his creation. God does not want to judge anyone. If he did, he wouldn't have called Jonah, like we're going to see in a minute. And instead, what he would have done is he would just smash them. He would just, just destroy them because of the righteous justice of who God is. The last point there is, so Jonah is not a story about a whale. Jonah is a story about God's outrageous love. Jonah is a story of God pursuing outrageous obedience. See, here's the story that really is in the story. is that God is looking for a people just like you and I today that would say yes. That would say, I accept the challenge. I, I accept whatever you're offering, God. I accept it, and I'm going to have an outrageous obedience to do whatever you desire, whatever you want, whatever you call me to, whatever you plan, I want to be a part of it because it's a story of outrageous obedience. And so when we begin to understand it, it's like, okay, maybe there's something else going on here. So let's, let's jump in. Let's talk about Jonah, what happened, what caused him to be lost at sea. Jonah 1, verse, verse 1. The Lord gave this message. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittal. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Let me pause right there and just give you a little picture of how wicked Nineveh was. Nineveh, the people of Nineveh were like the arch enemies of God's Israel tribes. They were, God's people were directly affected again and again and again by the Ninevites. And they were brutal. What they would do, they would come into an area and they would say, hey, we're going to take over Papillion. And, and they would gather all the women, they would gather all the children, and they would systematically rape them in front of the men and make them watch and kill them all. Then they would take all the men, and this, they would do it again and again and again. They were very brutal. They would take the men and literally skin them dig a hole, and put them in the hole while they were still alive. Painful. They'd get them in there, then they're doing that. As they've done that, just to make it even worse, they would bury them up to their heads right here, just as in the dirt, just like that. They would pull their tongues out. They would drive a stake through their tongues so that then they would die of thirst and agony in that moment. And you think, well, man, that's terrible. Then they would take and they would cut their heads off. And then they would take their heads and they would build a pyramid, a monument outside of the city 
They would say, this is what happens when the Ninevites show up. They were bad. I mean, this, they weren't playing. I mean, they were brutal. So when, when God said, announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are, God was referring to those kind of stories. And so God, in the midst of the story, what he's doing, he's reaching out to those that were the very enemies of God. Get a little glimpse of the character of God's heart for his people. And then it goes on, and so it says, But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, which was like the local airport, but a shipping port, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. Tarshish was actually the furthest point that he could possibly get away. He bought a ticket, and he went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. And so what did he do? Real quickly, this is what he did. He rejected the word of the Lord. He rejected the very message of God. He was faced with a decision to disobey or obey the word of the Lord. The message of the Lord represents this in each one and every one of our lives. It, mentions, it represents God's authority over my life, my acceptance of his promises in my life, and my agreement in his decision for my life, or direction, sorry. Authority, promise, and direction. And so Jonah said, I don't want to have anything to do with your authority. I don't want to have anything to do with your promises. I don't want to have anything to do with your direction. Forget it. I don't want to do it. And so he chose to disobey God and go the opposite direction. He rejected the word of the Lord. And so here's what happens. Every time you come to church, every time you come close to the voice of God and you hear him challenging you with his authority, with his promises and his direction, you and I have the same kind of choice. You and I have that moment of decision that says, I'm going to obey that or I'm going to disobey that. I'm going to accept that or I'm going to reject that. And when he rejected it was the moment that he began to find himself lost at sea. And so lost at sea began in this process of rejecting the word of the Lord. And the word was to be something different and to do something difficult for God. And so often being lost at sea is the result of us ask, of God asking us to do something we do not want to do. That's where it starts. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where God has asked me to do things I didn't want to do, and I said, no, I don't want to do it. At that moment, I'm looking at the dinghy <laughs> and deciding if I want to go to sea or not. That's what was going on here. So then the second one, he attempted to run away from God. Attempted to run away from God, to go the opposite direction. He didn't go for God, he ran away from God. And was, what, why did he do that? Here's a, here's a real quick question. Why would Jonah, and he was God's prophet, by the way. It'd be like the, be the pastor, say, forget you, God, I don't want to be a part of that. And here's the reason why. He hated God's plan. He hated God's plan. Why, do you, why would he hate God's plan? Because he knew the people that were in those pyramids, those skulled pyramids. He, he knew what those Ninevites had done to family members and, and tribes and people. He said, man, I hate those people. They're, they're my enemies, and I hate them. I don't want to have anything to do with them. I don't want to be a part of that. I want to go the opposite direction because I hate your idea, and I hate your decision, and I hate your plan. I don't want to be a part of it. Lost at sea. Lost at sea. And so he rejected that. Jonah was running from God because he hated God's idea and plan. And so what's that have to do with us? A lot of us probably said, well, I don't hate anybody. 
or maybe you don't like them so much. But you know what? Here's what happens. We are the same way. A lot of times we're running away from God because we don't like His plan. Because it doesn't make me comfortable. <laughs> right? I don't want to be a, accountable for anything I do. I'm kind of stepping on toes here a little bit. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to be accountable. I don't want to not be comfortable. I, I, I don't want it to cost me anything. My plan is better. Or man, here's the big one. I'm smarter than God. God doesn't know what He's doing. And so he rejects or attempts to run away from God. And really, when I run in opposite direction, I'm declaring my independence from God. And like, here's a couple examples. I don't care what, what God says about forgiveness. I'm not forgiving them. I don't, I don't care what God says about how to treat people who have offended you. I'm not doing it. I don't care. I mean, I, I'm not going there. Or, or maybe it's an area of sexual purity. I, I don't care what God says about sexual purity. I'm not doing it. And what I'm doing is I'm running away from God. I'm running in the opposite direction. Third one is this, is he tried to escape any responsibility. He tried to purchase his way out of the situation. He went and bought a ticket. I don't know if that rings any bells in our culture. Anybody know what one of the biggest obstacles to our spiritual growth is? Materialism. We think somehow we can purchase ourselves freedom. We can purchase ourselves away from God. If I just have the stuff, then I'll be okay. God, ah, no, God is, that isn't how it's going to work. You try to get away from God, and the truth is you can't hide from God. You might want to read Psalms 139 where it talks about even if I go into depths of hell, you're there. Even if I go here, you're there. I can't get away from you. Reading on. Verse 14, I mean verse 4, sorry. But, it says, the Lord, notice who did it, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm to be, that threatened the, to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was asleep in the hold. He was trying to avoid it, trying to ignore it, hope it just go away. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. And really, they're just trying to figure out what's going on. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. He's the guy. He was the problem. That's why it was happening. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? And Jonah answered a half-truth. I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. Really, he wasn't. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for they had already, he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. And I, I know that this terrible storm is my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Let me talk about storms real quick. Because Jonah's rebellion 
His own rebellion was the cause of storms in his life. Now, some of you today, I think you might be in the middle of a storm and that some of these things are going to speak loudly and clearly to what's going on. First one is this. is our rejection of God's direction is, also, is often the cause of the storms in our lives. Let me say it again. Our rejection of God's direction is often the cause of the storms in our lives. Not always, but a lot of times. Our rejection of God's direction is often the cause of the storm. Sometimes the storms are directly connected to my disobedience. And some of us in this very room right now are experiencing storms because we are running away from God's plan. We're rejecting the word of the Lord. We're running away from God. And and the storm is chasing at our heels. The storm is chasing at our heels. And it's like, whoa, why is all this happening? And you give them answers. Second thing is this. Innocent people get hurt because of our own personal rebellion. Innocent people get hurt because of our own personal rebellion. The, rib, the rebellion has a ripple effect. It's our personal disobedience to God will often put other people in danger. Jonah's rebellion was the cause of their painful situation. Here's the reality. A lot of us are in the middle of a difficult, crazy situation because there's rebellion in the midst of the situation. Because there's this idea that I'm rejecting the word of the Lord and I'm, I'm running away from God and I'm, I'm trying to avoid responsibility. I'm trying to do all these things. And because of that, it's a painful situation. It doesn't have to be, but because of that, it is. And it's heartache and it's difficult and it's, it's, it's overwhelming and it's all these different things. And God's got, that's not what I want from you. That's not what I planned for you. This, let's, let's get past this. I was thinking about it, you know, growing up, how much heartache I caused my parents. Oh, man. Bless my parents' hearts. I mean, bless my parents' hearts. I was a handful. I would say from probably about age 10. I was a handful. I mean, I I broke my parents' hearts again and again and again because of my rebellious way. I mean, I bet you they laid at night thinking again and again and again how painful the situation was because of their son that was in rebellion. I mean, I was doing, I was out there, the drugs and the alcohol, and I I mean, I was doing all the stuff. A few months ago, I went down to my, my parents, and when I went down there, I was... As I was driving down there, I thought to myself, I need to tell my dad I'm sorry. My dad adopted me when I was six months old and, and gave me his name, didn't know me at all. You know, I mean, he, he, he loved me. He took me in as his own. And I thought about it, man, by about the time I was 10, he was probably thinking, man, I really made a mistake here. <laughs> when I was about 14, he was probably going, is there a way I can get out of this? But my, na- my dad never did that. He loved me like I was his own. He cared for me. He treated me fairly. He never, he never, I never felt second class. I never felt like he loved my, my brother and sister more than me because I was half. Never felt like that. I thought to myself, man, I'm going to need to tell my dad thanks. I appreciate that. And so we're down at my parents. We're driving down the road, and my, grand, my dad's he's got like a 70 Dodge pickup that's got dually exhaust. And it's, we're going down the highway, and the windows are down because the air conditioner doesn't work. And, you know, it's, it's a heap, but my dad loves it. 
So we're driving down the road, and, and it was dark. And I just said, Dad, can I talk to you about something? He goes, what? I said, I've never, ever told you this, but I want to say thanks for putting up with all my crap. Because I know I put you through hell. I know what I did. I mean, you didn't have to. You chose to love me, and you did it as a champion. I mean, you, you gave yourself to me when I didn't deserve anything. You just kept loving me, kept being patient with me. I didn't deserve it. And you just kept doing it. I mean, I'm telling him, I, I, I mean, I'm sharing from my heart, you know, and he, next thing I know, I look over him, my dad's an old, tough German. He's crying, I'm crying. He goes, and he always tries to blow things off. Well, that's just how it was, son, I just loved you. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, it was huge, you know, because I realized that, that my storm caused a lot of pain for them. And see, innocent people get hurt because of our personal rebellion. And here's the deal. I think this is the word of the Lord for us today. And some of you, you need to go back and say thank you or I'm sorry for putting up with you. Some of you have done things and you, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's a brother, maybe it's a husband, maybe it's a wife, whatever it may be, and you know you need to do that. It's the challenge to you. Because it might be the difference between you being lost at sea or not lost at sea. Because somehow, some way, it's got to come alive in you that this is real stuff. The storms of life are real, and there's a reason why they're there. And maybe innocent people are getting hurt. It's time for you to do something about it. Here's other thoughts I thought about this just real quickly. is How many homes are in painful situations because one person's rebellion? How many marriages are struggling because of one person's rebellion? I mean, how many husbands and wives are in this room right now that are struggling because of one person's rebellion? Oh, God, help us not to be there. How many people are hurting and needing and, 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 and are in a needy situation of help and, and, and just somebody to get be, be around them and be with them, but because of one person's rebellion, they're not helped? How many people are and lives of pain because of one person who calls themselves a Christian, but they're rebels by nature, i.e. Jonah. I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. Really, what he was saying is, I'm a Christian, but I'm living in rebellion. And because of that, there's all kinds of pain happening in this situation. I'm living a lie, and it's affecting those around me. Ouch. last one is this, is innocent people get hurt because of our personal rebellion. Our rejection of God's direction is often the cause. And the last one is trying to manage the storms in our own power leads to more desperation. Too often what we think is, the answer is we just try harder. If we just give it more effort, the rebellion or my rebellion won't matter. And the truth of the fact of all of this is effort isn't the issue. Obedience is. Effort is not the issue. If I just try harder, if I just be a harder working rebellious person, it's all going to work out. Pfft. That just isn't going to work. So, last part, last part of the text is this. Calm at sea, verses 14 through 17. Then they cried out, the crew, 
Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. They had a change of heart. All of a sudden, they were asking for God, the gods of any kind, just somebody. <laughs> now it's, then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded. Oh, Lord, they pleaded. Don't make us die for this man's sin. They were recognizing what was going on. And don't hold us responsible for his death. Don't hold us responsible for what he's choosing to do, the storms that he's creating. See the things that are happening here. Oh, Lord, you haven't sent this storm upon him for your... Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. And the good reasons were is that God was in love with with his creation. And it goes on. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. And don't think, oh, well, you're going to go home for now and you're going to kick out that rebellious person in your home. Don't move quite that fast. (laughs) All right? Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. And the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power. And they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. By the way, the greatest miracle in the story of Jonah is not the whale. It's God calming the storm. That's the greatest miracle. The sailors were awestruck by, God, by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. So now their lives are changed. And now the Lord had arranged, and in another translation it says provided. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And actually, that's where we're going to pick it up next week in the message as the worship team comes there's two things two things how do I calm the storm alright for those that are watching or experience someone in rebellion say, say right now you're living in a home and you've got somebody in rebellion you've got somebody that's running rejecting trying to avoid responsibility that's what's going on okay two things what do we do to you or what do we do to stop the storm Here's the first step. Recognize the Lord's authority in my life first. It's got to start with you. It's got to start with you. See, the crew had to be dealt with before the the issue of Jonah had to be dealt with. And they were dealt with. They recognized, man, God's an authority of this thing. We're just along for the ride. God's the true one that's doing all the things he's doing. So I've got to recognize his authority over my life. Second one is this. Surrender the runaway into the hands of God. Here's the bottom line fact. You and I are not in the business of changing rebellious hearts. God is. You and I are not in the business of transforming anyone. God is. And so what I have to do is I have to give that person, give that situation to him and say, okay, God, here is the Jonah in my life. Now, maybe there's another side to this, and it's the Jonah in you. Like, what do I do if the Jonah's me? What, 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 do I, what do I do if it's me? Well, same thing. Recognize the Lord's authority in your life first. Secondly, surrender yourself into his hands. Surrender yourself into his hands. God wants to calm the storm in your life. You have to allow him to do it. Some of us, we have to come to the recognition and realization that maybe some of the things that are happening in my life is because of what I've decided in my life, to disobey or obey. Let's pray. 
Lord, I'm asking today that, God, you administer life in this place. Lord, you love us, God. You're, this whole story is a story of love, of outrageous love for your creation. Even people who are brutal, you love. Even people who reject you, you love. Even people who are on the run, God, you love. So, Lord, right now, God, we give it all to you and say, Lord, would you have your way in our lives? Would you rule and reign? We recognize your authority over us, and we choose in this moment to surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.